Hey, welcome. This is Pastor Tyler Whitcomb. I just want to say on behalf of the leadership of Fos Church, we are so glad that you're checking out the Fos Church podcast. At Fos, we believe in the authority of God's word and the ability it has through the power of the Holy Spirit to change the hearts of mankind and to mold and shape its readers into the image of Christ. And so we pray that these messages would do just that that you would hear God's word and be changed by it. Lastly, our encouragement is, if you do not belong to a local Bible-believing church, that you would do so, because a podcast will never allow you to serve the purpose that God has called you into belonging to the church. Well, good morning, church, and happy Memorial Day weekend to you all. Uh, for any of those in this room this morning that have served our country, any servicemen or women, we, we thank you. We are so appreciative of your service to this great country. You know, the, the freedoms that we really get to enjoy, and, and I know we're living in a world where people would say, hey, those freedoms are maybe being tested, challenged. Uh, that, that may be true. But nonetheless, the, the freedoms that we do walk in, that we do breathe in and experience is far greater than many parts, other parts of the world. Like, like even what we're doing right now, like, like this is a taboo idea in other parts of the world, that you would gather for worship, that you would bring a Bible that, that's not duct taped, you know, to hide what you're, what you're reading. I mean, there's parts of the world where that happens. And so we have been afforded so many beautiful privileges uh, because of our men and women in uniform. And so uh, if, if you are uh, one of those, we, we commend you, we thank you for your service uh, this Memorial Day weekend. Um, I'm sure that many of you, uh, if you are the average American, have either spent time yesterday, will do today, or will do tomorrow, you'll have some level of a barbecue, right? You'll, you'll get outside, you'll enjoy the sunshine, and probably enough meat to start clogging your arteries. Like, sign me up for that. So... Um, but here's my guess. Here's my guess. My guess would be that while you're barbecuing, while you're enjoying the holiday weekend, that none of you, or at least most of you, are not consciously thinking about foreign enemies that want to hurt you. Just guessing that's not what you're thinking about. Why? Because you're not actively in the fight. Right, right. You're not the person on the front lines. Um, and so, so you're not thinking about people that would want to harm this nation or try to take away our freedoms. But my guess would be that maybe a more likely thing that you'd be conscious of might be an enemy that is in your workplace, your, your, your boss, your coworkers, or maybe somebody on your street, one of your actual neighbors, or maybe uh, somebody in your family, a friend, somebody who's wronged you. Maybe, maybe that's kind of fresh on your mind about enemies, right? Because most of us, we, we do have enemies at some point in our life, whether we want to uh, consciously think of them as enemies or whether we really have any plans of uh, harming them, you know, the the chances are there are people in your life where conflict is easy to come about. Um, Anne Lamott once said that you can safely assume 
you've created God in your image when God hates all the same people that you do, <laughs> right? Like, like those moments you start having those people in my, you know, God's on my side, not on their side. Well, it's because you probably have created God in your image where God never really disagrees with you. And so God's on your side against your enemies. Um, and so uh, I, I say that because it's natural for conflict to happen. We are broken people and living in a broken world, right? I mean, I mean anybody void of conflict in their life? Okay, none, none of you or nobody's paying attention to what I'm saying and I, we can just leave. Um, but chances are, yeah, you've experienced conflict at some point in your life. Somebody wronged you, right? Somebody wronged you. And so I want to I put out an imaginary scenario where I invite all of you to stick around after church outside for a game of tag, and I'm the tagger. I might not be overly fast, but I'm kind of like the freight train. Once I get moving, it ain't going to stop, right? And so let's just suppose this game of tag, you're not paying attention, and I come, and I just blindside you with all the force that I got. It's substantial, not because of muscle, but just mass. And I bull rush you and knock you to the ground. What are you going to do? Some of you might say, you know, a few years back on Easter Sunday, I, I asked the congregation who thought they could beat me in a fight, and believe it or not, some fools raised their hands, right? I mean, people dumb enough to think they could take me. <laughs> and some of you might say, hey, I'd retaliate, I'd get up, and I'd, I'd shove you back. But some of you might say, hey, you know what? I don't really care all that much if you did that. I'd probably just look for another church, and this would be our last Sunday here. But now let me up the ante. What if upon this game of tag, I came chasing you with a baseball bat? Chances are you would run to the Sterling Heights police station about three quarters of the mile north of here and you'd make a report. But I'm gonna further the ante just a little bit. Suppose I am the ruler of the nation and I'm chasing you, not with a bat, but a sword and a spear, and I'm looking to kill you, then what would you do? Well, you'd probably start looking for a place to hide. You'd probably start praying for something bad to happen to me, right? And you'd say, hey, you're a problem. And suppose that one day when the, the game of tag has been going on for a really long time, and it, because You've hid so well, you think, oh, maybe he's forgotten about me. Maybe I don't exist anymore. And you come across me and my back's turned towards you. But you know, if I become aware of you, the game's back on, what would you do? You might seek to really offer harm to me. That might really be your goal and your aim because this is, this is, this is dangerous. You, me being in existence is dangerous. And in our text this morning, this is precisely where we find ourselves. If you've been with us for the last several weeks, as we've been watching uh, David on the run, what we've seen is that there's a time where, where David is playing the harp before Saul, and Saul takes a spear, and he starts playing the first game of darts. 
right? He begins throwing spears at David. So David takes off. But then Saul chases him to David's house. Coincidentally, it's also Saul's daughter's house, right? David is Saul's son-in-law. Saul gave David and um, his daughter in marriage because he believed, he truly believed, he said, my, my sole motivation in allowing this marriage to come about is that if they get married, then maybe David's edge in battle will be taken off and he'll die by the hands of the Philistines. Right, he, he's just hoping that somebody else does his dirty work for him. But Saul sends men to, to David's house. David has to kiss his wife goodbye. He flees out the, the side window and he takes off, not knowing if he's ever gonna see his wife again. And ultimately, the, the Philistines don't experience victory in battle, right? David over and over again is experiencing victory in battle against the Philistines. And the, one of the most recent times where we saw last week was he experienced victory in Keilah, right? Where, where God sent him to go protect the, the city of Keilah and he, hey, the Philistines are overriding, you know, go in there and, and David does. And he experiences victory. And Saul hears of that. And he says, okay, what, what a dummy. Like I can send men into that walled city. I mean, there's one way in, one way out. Like he's trapped himself. David gets wind of that that Saul's planning to come and get him. And so he, he takes off into the southern wilderness of Israel. And while he's out there, he, where we saw last week is he, he's in dry deserts. He's in dark caves. And David taught us how to behave in the cave. He taught us that suffering doesn't have to be purposeless. He, that, he taught us that there could be meaning in suffering. And so my encouragement was, don't waste your suffering. I mean, suffering can be the schoolhouse where God teaches you a bigger, more profound picture of him. And so what David does in that 10 years of running in dry deserts and dark caves is he writes 10 Psalms, the Hebrew word for song. He writes these songs and he writes these songs about God's goodness, about how he learned the love of God in the wilderness. And so we say it's not always a punishment. Sometimes there's a blessing in the wilderness. And so while David's out there, it could be as if Saul has forgotten about him, right? Time has gone on. Saul goes back to fight the Philistines. Hey, he went out into the wilderness. He could be chopped liver. Because there's not this, not, you know, Saul's not just like thinking, okay, I'm gonna keep pursuing. No, he goes back to fight the Philistines. It's like, who saw the movie Lion King? one of the greatest films in 1994. But in the movie Lion King, um, there's a scene when Mufasa dies, Scar and his henchmen, the hyenas, are looking to devour Simba. And so Simba takes off out into the desert. You guys remember that? And who does he come across? Timon and Pumbaa, Right? There, there Simba comes across Timon and Pumbaa and they teach him the way of life, right? Simba experiences some, some beauty in the wilderness and it's as if Scar has forgotten about him until word gets back to, in the pride lands, that Simba's still alive. And so now he's got to armor up and that's what we're going to see 
But in that armoring of up, there's a scene, there's a moment in our text today where Saul's back is gonna be turned to David and David has the opportunity to rid his problem or the life, his life's problems. And David will teach us how to respond to people who've wronged you. Now, what I wanna say, because yeah, I, I always know there's objections, right? Am I, am I, is what David teaching us today to never defend yourself? I'm not, I don't think that's what David's teaching us. If somebody is coming to plunder your home and uh, attack your family, I, I'm not saying you seek to do them good at that moment. You know, I, I'm not just, I think there's a difference between revenge and defending yourself. And so really David's gonna teach you about revenge and way of people who've harmed you. And so if you have your Bibles, we're gonna be in 1 Samuel chapter 24. We're gonna look at the first few verses here. After Saul returned from fighting the Philistines, he was told that David had gone into the wilderness of En Gedi. So Saul chose 3,000 elite troops from all Israel and went to search for David and his men near the rocks of the wild goats. At the place where the road passes some sheepfolds, Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. But as it happened, David and his men were hiding farther back in that very cave. And so again, as you remember, like Saul went from fighting the Philistines. But then it says that he receives word where David was in the wilderness of En Gedi. And so here's what Saul does. Right, mind you, Saul's army isn't that overly extensive at this point. And so he puts on like this, this nationwide draft. And he says that he takes 3,000 of the most elite men. I mean, he says, you're a fine specimen. You'll be, you'll be good for the army. You know, he begins building out this army of 3,000 individuals. Now, 3,000 uh, seems a little bit like overkill, right? We're, we're chasing how many guys? One, 3,000 against one, right? That, that, that's, but at this point, remember, this is years now. There's already been some years that have transpired of Saul chasing after David. And so these wanted signs are everywhere, right? Dead or alive. Uh, Saul, he is Saul's most wanted. And so he's now got, Saul now has an army of 3,000 to go after David and he he invites these guys in, these 3,000 men, into a fatal game of hide and seek. Where he's like, okay, you guys are all looking for this one guy. And if you find him, we take him out. We end him. End this charade. And, and 3,000, as though it might seem like overkill, what, what Saul realizes is that David's out in the wilderness. Like at this point, it is a matter of foot race. Who can cover more ground faster? So let's get out into the wilderness. Let's chase after him. Let's, let's get him. And it says that, our text tells us in verse three, at the place where the road passes some sheepfolds, Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. What does that mean? I'll tell you. If you have ever potty trained anyone and you read the book, Everyone Poops, that's what's going on here. This is the relief that Saul is doing. Sounds kind of grotesque. How do, you, how do you know that the Bible is highlighting that detail? He just says it relieved himself. If you have the KJV, which two decades ago, that was the only uh, proper translation. Um, 
But the KJV would say that Saul went into the cave to cover his feet. That's, that's it. Uh, and so while, while Saul goes and does that, he say, hey, Tyler, why are, you, why are you making a point about this? Seems like a pretty detail you could skip over. Here's why I'm telling you this. You could be the most driven individual. You, you could experience great amounts of success. You, you could do all that. Here's a reminder that everyone, even kings, need to cover their feet, right? You guys awake this morning? I know it's holiday weekend, but we're talking about bathroom. But Saul goes to relieve himself, and it says that as he goes in to relieve himself, he goes into the very cave where David and his men are. I mean, talk about prime opportunity right now, right? I mean, Saul is just completely defenseless. He's totally vulnerable. You know, not that I ever wanted anybody to break in my house to come and try and kill me, but I never wanted them to do that, especially while I'm using the restroom, right? I mean, he's in a vulnerable position. He, David, this is the time to capitalize, and this, this is exactly what his men say. Look with me at verse four. Now is your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Today, the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put enemy into your power to do with you as you wish. So David crept forward and cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. It said that Saul's men, or David's men are looking at him and they begin to whisper to him and they say, finally, your chance. Why are they whispering? Because I know we have some hunters in the room. You understand that when your prey comes out in front of you, And that's what David's men are doing. They're saying, Saul, that's Saul. He's over there. Go and kill him. It's God's opportunity for you. Right? They, they begin whispering these things to him because they don't want to, they don't want to scare Saul off. And they, they attribute this available opportunity to God. It's exactly what Saul did last week. Once he realized that, that David was in a walled-in city, they say, hey, available opportunity. Saul says, hey, the Lord has delivered him into my hands. And at the same time, David's men, who, who aren't probably ill will, they, they probably think this is justified, right? I mean, David, think about everything that's happened to you up until this point. Here's your chance. Here's your opportunity. And so they begin to whisper this to David. And so David obviously must feel some conviction because he doesn't go and kill him. It says that he goes and cuts off his robe, a piece of his robe. You know, this, this little piece of the garment would eventually serve as a, aha, I could have. But there must have been some level of conviction because he doesn't go to make the kill happen. But he does want to be able to send a message and a point but I think this could be one of the first lessons that we learn from David about how to deal with people who have wronged you. Even to great degrees. I mean, I mean think about it. Saul has, hasn't done some little minor things towards David. He's done some very major things. He's ruined his life in some ways. But one of those first lessons that you can learn from David is don't look to harm those who've hurt you. That, that's the world's economy. That's not God's economy. And so... David doesn't seek to harm him. 
Verse five, it says that David's conscience bothered him. But then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut off Saul's robe. And, and you begin to wonder, hey, what's causing his conscience to be bothered? It's just, I mean, the text tells us it's the fact that he cut off a, a piece of the robe. Well, what's the big deal? You didn't really harm him, but that, you gotta be careful with revenge. You gotta be careful with how that works because I think Saul, or David understood, you know, today it's uh, the hem of his robe, tomorrow it's his wardrobe. It only increases, it only grows. And so, so David's, David's uh, conscience had began to bother him. And, and, and you see why it bothers him because it says that he goes to his men and he says, hey, I shouldn't have done this. This isn't what God wanted me to do. God, God wasn't looking for me to go repay evil with evil. He wasn't looking for me to go settle the score. He goes, in fact, if, if what I know about everything that's gone on right now... Is Saul is still the king. God has still put him in that position of authority. And so you know what this tells me? Is that David acknowledges that there's still the need to respect the office even if you don't respect the person. Right? Maybe you have conflict with somebody in your life that has been put in a position of authority, whether it be a boss, you think politics, Right, You begin to say, hey, I have conflict with this person or that person. And yet if God has placed them in a position of authority, there is still a call to respect that office, whether you agree with them or not, because they're who God has put in authority for such a time as this. And that doesn't mean that God has always put somebody in authority for your prosperity, which you can see in the scriptures that God, put, God places and removes kings at times to allow a, a people to flourish, but he also does it to judge people. And so you might, look at the, you might look at somebody in office and say, well, they are a fool. They might be, but it might be God's movement of judgment in the world that we're living in. And so David respects the office um, of king. And uh, he does not look to harm the king. In verses 7 through 15, we're going to see David's next lesson that he teaches us about responding to those who've offended you or hurt you. Verse 7, so David restrained his men and did not let the, them kill Saul. And after Saul had left the cave and gone on his way, David came out and shouted after him, my Lord, the king. And when Saul looked around, David bowed low before him. Then he shouted to Saul, why do you listen to the people who say I'm trying to harm you? This very day you can see with your own eyes, it isn't true. For the Lord placed you at my mercy back there in the cave. Some of my men told me to kill you, but I spared you. For I said, I will never harm the king. He is the Lord's anointed. Look, my father, what I have in my hand. It is a piece of the hem of your robe. I cut it off, but I didn't kill you. This proves that I am not trying to harm you and that I have not sinned against you, even though you have been hunting for me to kill me. And so what does David do? What, what, what is one of the lessons that we can learn from this? Is that David seeks to go and make the first move. He, he, he makes the first move in reconciliation, right? Saul is done covering his feet. He leaves the cave. And as he does, it says that David says, hey, Saul. Saul turns back and he sees David. And what does David do amidst 
making the first move is he addresses the conflict, the point of conflict. He says, why, why are you believing the people that have saying that I'm trying to harm you? Right, isn't, isn't a lot of times conflict started because of things that we hear? Whether, whether we hear it secondhand or maybe you just misunderstand the person who's saying it. Right, I, I think about how many conflicts my wife and I have where it's just a misunderstanding. You know, one of the things that we talk about is, is there's the distinction between intent and impact where oftentimes the conflict starts and I, and I say, oh, that wasn't my intent. But that doesn't mean that wasn't my impact, right? That, and so that's where we have to be conscious with each other. Where, where, where grace needs to be extended and say, hey, hey that, I know that wasn't your intent, I forgive you. But the person that, that caused the conflict has to be conscious of, of, of how they impact the other person, right? And so grace needs to be extended both ways. But as David, he approaches, he, he begins to address the lie. He's like, hey, I know this isn't something that you misheard because who's saying it? I mean, I mean Saul's paranoia, there, there's no evidence that David has any plot to go kill Saul. This was just some lie that Saul chose to believe about David. And so David addresses that lie. I mean, he does it gently, but he just says, hey, why, why are you believing this? Why are you believing that I'm trying to harm you in some way? And um, what we'll see is, yeah, the, the, um, David makes that first move. And he addresses the fact that this wasn't my intention. Um, but he also displays then uh, what his real intentions were. He says, hey, hey, this might have been the point of conflict. You might have said, hey, people are trying to hurt me. Or, so you might believe that. But here's the proof of my intention. It's not only am I addressing the conflict, not only am I addressing the lie, but he's, he pulls up the robe. He says, look what I have in my hand. Earlier when, when you were, eh, yeah, yeah, I was there. And I went and cut off a piece of your robe so that you know, I had every reason to do it. All my guys were saying, yeah, yeah David, go take care of him. Because, but now, I, I didn't do that. I wasn't looking to harm you. And so if you, if you believe this lie, if you believe that I'm, really out here trying to harm you? How do you explain this? How do you explain the fact that I have your robe in my hand? And so, you know, oftentimes, you know, with this lesson that, that we're learning from David, you know, to be the one to make the first move, the one to go address conflict, to display intentions, that can be really hard to do, especially if you're the person that has been wronged. Right, I, I think of almost every conflict my wife and I do have. We, we've talked about this. It's almost like, you know, in boxing, after the round, you go to your own corners. I wonder if you and your spouse have corners where you kind of just like, they're, they're not spoken, but you just, you kind of retreat to your own spot. And then you just sit there and you're just like relishing. I've been wronged. They need to come make it right, right? I mean, that's how, oftentimes how we deal with people in our conflicts. If they've wronged us, we wait for them to make the first move because they need to do it. 
David doesn't do that. You know, godly, healthy conflict is can be a really good thing. It can draw you closer to one another. And so you can't be afraid of conflict. You got to step into it. And you got to address maybe where there was misconception, maybe where there was a lie. And then you get to display your intentions. Hey, that, that, that's, that is not what I meant. You know, and, and then grace needs to abound. And so David does that. He makes the first move. And then our final lesson from what David teaches us about responding to those who uh, have offended you is verse 16. When David had finished speaking, Saul called back, is that really you, my son David? Then he began to cry and he said to David, you are a better man than I am. For you repaid me good for evil. Yes, you've been amazingly kind to me today. For when the Lord put me in a place where you could have killed me, you didn't. Who else would let this enemy get away with, uh, get away when he had him in his power? May the Lord reward you well for the kindness you have shown me today. And now I realize that you are surely going to be king. You know, that, that was a point where for the last several weeks where, where the conflict really arose in Saul's mind was that he began being worried about who the next king was going to be. And he began seeing David as the likely candidate for that. But here he acknowledges it. He says, he says that you, will, you are surely going to be the next king and that the kingdom of Israel will flourish under your rule. Now swear to me by the Lord that when that happens, you will not kill my family and destroy my line of descendants. So David promised him this to Saul with an oath. And Saul went home and David and his men went back to their stronghold. And so this would be the final lesson that you could learn for how to respond to people who have offended you. Seek to do them good. Seek to do them good. Um, you see that from uh, our text here. You know, they, but they both agree. They, they both have this agreement to not want to harm another. And, and they make this agreement and yet Saul's promise is only going to be temporary, right? Saul will eventually go back and look to cause more harm to David. And yet David's promise will stand. You'll see that in 2 Samuel. You can see that in 2 Samuel. David has opportunities. His opportunities to revenge himself, revenge their family line against Saul's family line, and he doesn't do it. He honors this oath and this promise. Um, evidence of reconciliation is this. Evidence of real reconciliation is that goodness and love continue on. Um, it's in C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity, where he says, everyone loves forgiveness until they're the person that has something to forgive. But you want to really know that you've forgiven somebody? Do you seek to show them love? Do you seek to do good to them? Because here, David does that, right? We're, we're at the end of this dialogue, before they split ways, they make an oath to not harm the other. And David will be faithful to that. And, and maybe you say, hey, that just sounds impossible. Like if I told you how I have been wrong, you would say there's an exception clause for me. If I told you every way that I've been wronged by, by this person or that person, and I'm not, dis, I'm not discounting that. Maybe you've had some horrendous things happen to you. Things that nobody would ask for, wish for. 
but I believe that there's power to live this way. There's power to reconcile. There's power for healing. And it's, it's really when you begin to live within God's story, not your own. You know, one of the things that we've been correlating these last several weeks, month, is the fact that Saul is living out of his own story where Saul is the point. And so anything that comes against Saul, Saul's name, Saul's power, Saul's throne, that needs to be exterminated because you don't threat Saul's story. But if you live within God's story, and we see, oftentimes see David doing that, um, your ability to forgive exponentially increases because you know that you yourself have been reconciled to a holy God, not that you were deserving of it, but because God in his love for you has forgiven you. And he calls you to go and live likewise with other people. And then you begin seeing, okay, now my ability to forgive people who offended me and I, and I leave the defense to God, that's a testament of God's glory and God's power and his goodness that I don't have to worry about leveling scores, that I don't have to worry about making things even because God can handle that. I'd rather display God's glory, God's love, God's goodness to a world. I mean, imagine the person that maybe has gravely offended you, hurt you, done something to you. Imagine if you came up to them, addressed the conflict and said, I love you. I'd imagine that would do wonders for their mind. I'd imagine that would lead them to question, how can they do this? How can they care for me? How can they love me? Despite everything that I've done to them. You know, or maybe, just maybe, you make that first move. You know, just stepping into the conflict. That's so contrary to start our own humanness. Right? What kind of testimony would we be if we acted differently amidst conflict, hardship? I believe that the Spirit gives us power for that. If you're here today and you, you don't know Jesus, you don't know this power that I'm talking about, I want to invite you into that this morning. I want to encourage you to take this step of faith. Life is so much sweeter and so much greater when you're living in God's story than your own. Um, and that ability to forgive only become, uh, is granted to you because you've been forgiven of. And so that's the story. The story is that we've all sinned against God. We've all wronged God. In Romans chapter three, verse 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We, we, we've all rebelled. We've all hurt God. And yet God gives us the perfect example of holy reconciliation by stepping in and making the first move in the sending of Jesus. That was God's first step towards you amidst reconciliation. That he gave his one and only begotten son for whoever would believe. And so if you're here today and you say, hey, I've never believed in Jesus in way of pledging my allegiance to him. Today, would that be the day that you would do that? because he offers you life. He offers you reconciliation to God. It's because Jesus made the first move. And so there's no magical prayer, no magical words. It's just an honest confession of your heart that Jesus is Lord. And so I encourage you to make that, that step today. Let me pray for us.